just bless this time in the study of your word. We ask that you would just, as we have been drawn close to you through worship, and, and Lord, our hearts have, um, Lord, been prepared. Um, we want to receive the word. And just as we are going to see this Sunday, the sower that went out to, to sow seeds, the seed being the word of God, we want our hearts to be like the fertile soil, that it takes root there. And even though we look at uh, the, the priesthood that is being established here in the Old Testament, that, that Lord, no longer are there animal sacrifices. We're thankful for that. Jesus became the one sacrifice for us, the perfect Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. But Lord, in these things that we're going to see tonight, we can make application for us today and what it means for us. So Lord, I pray that we would be teachable and that our ears and understanding uh, would be open to you, Lord, as you teach us through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a wonderful study in the book of Exodus. And, and just kind of to remind you where we're at, Moses is up on the mountain. You recall that, that Moses, clear back in the beginning of Exodus, which is just a continuation of the book of Genesis, as the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years, uh, after Joseph uh, had become the prime minister and Jacob and his sons came in with 75 people because there was famine all throughout Egypt and Canaan. And, and so Joseph, through a working of God, became the prime minister there, one of Jacob's sons. And so they were there in Egypt, and, and the Pharaoh that was there saw favor upon Jacob and his sons. But after the generations would pass by, and Joseph and Jacob would pass off the scenes, and actually the, the 12 sons which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And I think it's important for us, and I think that most of us do have that understanding, that Jacob's 12 sons is the foundation for and the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so through them, we see the names of the tribes of Israel. And as we go into the book of Exodus, of course, it was a nation over those 400 years that they were in Egypt that grew exceedingly and abundantly. And so the pharaohs that came after, you know, the pharaoh that existed and found favor on the children of Israel when they first came in with a small number, they began to say, hey, here's a, a nation, the, the, the Hebrews, that are growing. Let's put them in slavery. So they were under the slavery of Egypt for many, many years and generations. They were uh, in bondage. They uh, were ones that worked every single day. And then the Lord would use Moses, of course, as we saw Moses' life, the first 40 years of his life, as we talked about, he would actually spend in the palace of Pharaoh. He was one that was, uh, after that decree given that all the male children born of, among the Hebrews should be drowned in the river, but we know that Moses' mother uh, would not do that. She built an ark and floated them down the river. And uh, in that ark, uh, we see that Pharaoh's daughter would then take Moses, raise him up in the palace of Pharaoh. The first 40 years of his life, he would spend there. There isn't a whole lot that's told about Moses in his first 40 years being in, in Pharaoh's courtyard and in his palace. But we do know the scriptures tell us that he was raised in all the wisdom and knowledge of Egypt. But we also know that he rejected being a son of Pharaoh, but rather he chose to suffer affliction with his brethren. And so the next 40 years after Moses came out of Pharaoh's courtyard and would then identify with his people, of course, through a series of events of killing the Egyptian taskmaster that was beaten on a Hebrew, Moses would, would flee out of fear, knowing that he would be put to death for doing that. So the next 40 years, 
uh, would take him to the age of 80 years of, of age. And we know that Moses was there on the backside of the desert herding sheep. And that's where his ministry began. After 40 years of doing that, he would see the bush that was burning up on the mountain of God, and he would go up to see this incredible sight, as he would say. And then he would there talk with God and meet with God. And the Lord told Moses, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So that's what Moses has done. He has gone, as we have seen, back to Egypt. He told Pharaoh, let the children of Israel go into the wilderness that they may worship. And Pharaoh said no. And so Moses said the plagues are going to come down. The plagues would come down till finally the tenth plague. That was the death of the firstborn. We saw the institution of Passover that he gave to the children of Israel at that time, which is an important feast that they would celebrate throughout their generations. And then we see that they would go out into the wilderness. Uh, Pharaoh would pursue them. Uh, it would be their backs, the children of Israel, up against the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They would cross on dry land. And then when the Egyptians would try to cross in their chariots, uh, the walls receded and they were drowned. And so they would pursue uh, going towards the mountain of God where Moses told them, bring the children of Israel here. We saw that God has provided for them with, with uh, manna that would fall from heaven and their daily provision for food, water that would come from the rock. And then as they came to the mountain of God, God said, tell the children of Israel, Moses, they're going to meet their God. And so they are to, to be ready, and God appeared to them, the, the, the tangible presence of God, the manifestation of God on that mountain, as the mountain shook and the mountain was on fire, and it was like a huge furnace, and then we see that uh, there was lightnings and thunderings and the voice of God that was heard, and the people trembled, and, and they said, Moses, we can't go up there, you know, and they couldn't go up there because God had set some boundaries around the mountain. Only Moses could go up on the mountain. And Moses, you hear from God and we will do what he tells us to do. Now keep that in mind because we're going to see in just a few chapters here when we continue on that they're going to forget about that. They're going to forget about, you know, the covenant they had made with God, that we will obey the law as Moses went up on the mountain, received the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the law, and then built upon that would be the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, and the civil laws that we were looking at through those chapters and starting in chapter 22. And then Moses is being shown the tabernacle, and that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So that's the outline that we looked at in the book of Exodus. And, and in the building of the tabernacle, of course, the Lord said, Moses, you build a tabernacle after the pattern that I'm going to show you that I may meet with you. And, and that right there should bless us because the Lord desired to meet with his people, but the Lord desires to meet with you and me. Do you know that? And that's something that I pray that none of us would ever forget how much the Lord desires to meet with us. The Lord desires to fellowship with us, and we're going to even see that tonight in the sacrifices that are going to be given. So the furnishings of the tabernacle have been explained to us. We see that the tabernacle itself, the dimensions, the outer court, the furnishings, all these things. Last week in chapter 28, we saw the priestly garments that the priests would wear, and now we're going to see the priests are going to be consecrated for ministry to the Lord, as we'll talk about that in chapter 29. 
In chapters 30 and 31, we're going to finish up looking at uh, the things and the furnishings concerning the tabernacle. And then chapter 32 through 34, we're going to see the children of Israel dancing around that golden calf and their sin. And then we're going to see a repeat uh, in chapter 35 to the end of the book of Exodus of them actually building the tabernacle. And so uh, that's where we're headed. And then when we get to Leviticus, it's going to explain more about what we're going to look at here in chapter 29, and that is Aaron and his sons, who are the priests. Now, remember last week that the Lord told Moses that Aaron and his sons are going to be the ones that are going to be the priests. So Aaron, having at this time of here, chapter 29, has four sons. And from those four sons, the direct descendants of Aaron and his sons are going to be the ones that are going to be the priests. When we get to Leviticus chapter 10, we're going to see that his two older sons are going to be consumed by fire by the Lord. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and we'll see why they were consumed by fire. But it would be the, the tribe of Levi, again, Levi being one of the sons of Jacob. From the tribe of Levi, we're going to see that the Levites and the different families of the Levites are also going to be involved in the ministry there at the tabernacle. And so we'll discuss that more. We'll see why the Levites were chosen to be the ones that would uh, minister there at the tabernacle. And when they go into the promised land, the Levites are not going to be given an inheritance. The Lord said, I will be in your inheritance. And what I mean by that, in the book of Joshua, when they go into the promised land, that the Lord divides up the land and given a, a section of land to all the different tribes of, uh, of Israel. Remember that Joseph had two sons that are named in the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that the Levites were there camped in the middle of camp along the tabernacle when they wandered in the wilderness. And then they also were not given a, an allotment of land. They were given different cities that they stayed in. So they didn't have farmland. They didn't have crops. They didn't have livestock. And so in these sacrifices that we're going to read about here tonight and then be uh, repeated in the book of Leviticus, there it is the sacrifices, the purpose of the sacrifices are given to us, but one of the purposes is going to be to provide for the Levites, provide for the priests, uh, that they may be fed and provided for. And so that's where we're at. That's where we're beginning um, to, to, to kind of put all together as we go through this. And so chapter 29, let's begin to look at that. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour, and you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bulls and the two rams. So last week in chapter 28, we saw the priestly garments. Uh, Moses, here are the garments that are going to be you know, given to you to, to give to the priest. Here's the pattern. So we saw the ephod, and it was like a vest. It had two stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six names on one shoulder, six on the other. And we talked about how it represented how and symbolized how the high priest would bear the name of Israel uh, on his shoulders as he went before the Lord to minister to the Lord. And then he had the breastplate that was uh, made of 12 different stones and gems that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It symbolized how 
the high priest would carry the children of Israel on his heart as he ministered before the Lord. And I want to remind us once again that you and I, as we go to the New Testament, we are called a royal priesthood, as Peter writes in his epistle. We also know from Revelation chapter 5 that we are a kingdom of priests. So you and I are likened to priests, and, and we uh, can make a lot of analogies, and, and we can make a lot of application as we go through this. So looking at the priestly garments, again, they would have uh, the beautiful garments on, and then they would have the robe of the ephod that was blue to remind them that they're heavenly people with the pomegranate around the hem of their garments and a bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. And a pomegranate being a fruit reminds us how we are to bear fruit as we minister to the Lord, and then also how we are to ring the things of God. That's what the bells represents. And so that's what we've been looking at, the, the turban with the gold plate that says holiness unto the Lord. And of course, you and I are called to holiness as well. And so we, as we finished last week, we know that it would be at the end of chapter 28 that Moses, you take these garments, they're going to be made, and you put them on Aaron and his sons, and you anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. Now here's the thing to remember. That phrase is repeated over and over again here in, in chapter 28 and chapter 29 of Exodus when we go into the book of Leviticus because the book of Leviticus is going to talk about how we can serve and obey and worship a holy God. We will be in Leviticus here in a, in a few weeks because we're going to go through those chapters that talk about the tabernacle again real quick because it's a repeat of what we've already saw. But I hope that you come out and, and look at that because Leviticus is one of the, the most blessed books that we can look at. We can make a lot of application for us because don't you want to know how to worship and obey and to serve a holy God in your own life? And that's what we're going to see when we go through Leviticus. And I want to remind you of that because there are those who have even said to me, pastors that have said, why take your congregation through Leviticus? You know, it doesn't apply to us today. And it's like, you know, it does apply to us today. All of God's work is for us and for our benefit. And so as we look at this, again, to minister to me before the Lord, that was their priority. First of all, to come together in unity and ministry. It was Aaron and his sons that are going to work together to do the ministry of the Lord, and then you are to minister before me. And always remember, as a royal priesthood, as you and I are, are, are likened to priests, because the priest's main responsibility is to represent the heart of God to the people, and that's what you and I do, don't we? In our witness, we talked about that on Sunday in Matthew's Gospel. Make sure that people understand the heart of God, his love for you, what he's done for us, and, and provision has been made for salvation, and, and we want to do that correctly. Make sure our message is clear as we talk to people about the heart of God, and the way that we learn the heart of God is it's revealed to us in his word as we study the scriptures. But also, the priest would represent the people to God in the burning of incense and, and the sacrifices that they would make, and then you and I can do that as we intercede for people, as we present them before the Lord, as, as we uh, are ones that we are living sacrifice before the Lord and the people as they see that that it is a ministry to them and we can bless them and in, in, in loving them and loving people in our lives and so those are our main responsibilities but here as we go into chapter 29 now Aaron and his sons are being installed that is separated for service to the Lord and in this chapter we're going to see sacrifices that are going to be made by the priests 
And, and we're going to see, first of all, the sin offering that's going to be made. Second of all, the burnt offering and then the wave offering. And all of those offerings are going to speak very powerfully to us. So Moses, what you are to do in setting apart these priests, Aaron and his sons, for ministry unto me, is you are to take one young bull and two rams without blemish. And so these are the three animals that are going to be used to be sacrificed. And what you're going to do is hallow them for ministry to me as priests. And so, again, the priest being set aside for God's purposes. And then also what they were to do is bring in a basket unleavened bread. Now, we've talked about unleavened bread, haven't we? Leaven in the scriptures, and we're going to see it in just a couple weeks when we go through those parables in Matthew chapter 13, and we see it elsewhere in the scriptures and in the New Testament, that leaven speaks of corruption, it speaks of evil, it speaks of sin. And so we're going to see that Jesus is going to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That is the corruption, uh, the evil that they're displaying. Paul would talk to the Corinthian church about, you need to purge out the leaven. Don't you know that a little leaven purges a whole loaf? loaf. And in other words, a little bit of sin can really start to spread and affect a whole lot of people. And so we see very clearly that leaven speaks of sin, of evil in the scriptures. And in the, in the institution of the Passover that we saw earlier in Exodus, that it was to be immediately followed by one of the major feasts that they celebrated, and that was what? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, wasn't it? And so we discussed in the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they were to eat bread without any leaven. They were to go throughout their houses and purge out any leaven that was in the house. It was to be a feast that was to be celebrated from generation to generation, from year to year, and it is a feast that the Jews even celebrate today. And so in the Passover, and, and so they purge out the leaven in the Passover ceremony. And so you and I can make application of we should purge out anything that is evil, corruptible, sin, out of our homes, out of our minds, what we take in. We need to make sure that we're taking in the things of the Lord. And so here they were to bring these things as the priests are going to be consecrated uh, unto the Lord. And so verse 4, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. So uh, we haven't talked about the bronze laver. The bronze laver that we're going to talk about in chapter 30, the next chapter, is one of the furnishings that Moses is going to be shown that will be in the outer court. Now, again, the tabernacle was a tent. It had two rooms, a holy place and the most holy place. It wasn't a huge structure, only about 45 feet long and 15 feet wide. But then it was surrounded by a fence, again, made of, of woven linen that was white. We saw the dimensions of it. And in the outer court, there would be the altar, the bronze altar, where they did the sacrifices that we're going to be talking about these animals, but then there was the bronze uh, laver as well that they would wash, and that's where the priest would wash. It would be directly right in front of the door of the tabernacle. Again, there was only one door into the tabernacle, only one way into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies there, as the Lord said that there in the Holy of Holies, in the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to meet with my people. And that's where the tangible presence of God was, even though the high priest was the only one that was allowed to go into the, the tabernacle, past the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, on the Day of Atonement, and then he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the nation. But he was the only one that was allowed to go into the presence of the Lord. But before he did that, as we're going to see in Leviticus chapter 16, is he had to go through elaborate washings, and he would go through the washings of the labor, and then also the sacrifices that he would do. And I think that it's important for us to stop and think about this, that as these priests are going to be set aside for ministry, 
that they need to hear as they're going to be brought to uh, this, this labor. They're going to be brought and they're going to wash them with water. You know, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that we are washed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, aren't we? And that's good news. We are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that we can come boldly into the presence, that is the Holy of Holies, the throne of grace, into, into the presence of the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But we've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. So this washing that the priest would go through and then he would go in on the Day of Atonement and then he would go through the tabernacle, through the veil, into the presence of God. And because you and I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can now come into the presence of the Lord because of what Jesus has done for you and me on Calvary's cross. So that's good news for you and I, but also the scripture says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that we've been washed by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we have been coming to Jesus in faith and repenting and saying, Jesus, I am a sinner, and, and Lord, I, I know that you died for me on Calvary's cross. Be my Lord and Savior. Wash me by your blood as we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we have the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and, and lives in our hearts, and there's regeneration that happens, and the New Testament speaks about that, doesn't it? And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, so we continue in sin that, that, that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. We're dead to sin. And then he says, don't you know that we identify with Christ in his death, in, in baptism? In other words, that baptism symbolizes that as we go under the water, we're identifying with Christ, and, and, and we are buried. The old man, the old woman is buried. It, it's dead. And then we are raised up as we are raised out of the water and that newness of life. It's a picture we're resurrected with life. And as Ephesians chapter 2 says, that we were dead. But now we've been made alive because the Holy Spirit, now that we've come to Jesus Christ in faith, there's a regeneration that happens in our heart. We have a new heart. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creature in Christ. All things have become new. And so you've heard me say this several times over the last few months, but I think it's really important for us to understand that when we become a Christian, it isn't that we just add Jesus to our old life, but all things become new. We're a new creature in Christ. That regeneration generation that happens we become alive so we're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in our hearts that regeneration washed by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit but then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 says that we are also washed with the water of the word and so as we come into this place and continue to be washed by God's word. Jesus said to his disciples, you're clean by the words which I have given to you. There's a washing that takes place. And you and I are out in the world all day long, aren't we? And we feel it when we come home, don't we? We've heard the voices of the world, the ideas of the world, the philosophy of the world, all the world's things that, that, that come on us. And at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but you, know, you feel dusty and dirty, don't you? And that washing of the water of the word, just in God's truth, there's such a cleansing that takes place. So I hope that you're one, that you're washing continually. Not just when you come here on Wednesdays and Sundays, that's great. But every single day we need to be washing in the water of the word. That we need to be washing our family, our kids with the water of the word. That's so important that we do that. Because there's so many voices out there. And, and, and there's so many things that, that come and affect us. And we need that washing. 
being established in the word of God and being ones that continually being washed by the water of the word. And so they were to wash in verse 5. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunics on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod and the ephod with the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them and you shall gird them with sasses. Aaron and his sons to put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so that you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So after the you know the priests wash, they had to be clothed again with the priestly garments that we saw in the last chapters. It wasn't that the Lord said, you know what? Uh, I guess the priests, I guess they need some decent clothes to wear. Why don't you go to Coles, you know, and and buy them some clothes for them? It wasn't that way, or make some clothes for them. The Lord said, here is the pattern of the clothing in which they are to be clothed with and we talked again about the high priest and those beautiful robes that he would wear but the thing is after we are washed with the blood of Jesus Christ regeneration happens we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that's something else that we need to have a clear understanding and it's a understanding that we need to give to people that they realize that they cannot stand before God in their own righteousness because the scripture clearly says that our righteousness That is the works that we do apart from Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, trying to come in our own goodness and and good works, that our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. And there are a lot of people, and even those who sit in churches that don't understand that, they think that I'm going to get to heaven because I went to church and I listened to a Bible study, or I belonged to the church, or gave to the church, or, you know, I did community service, or I was a good husband, a good wife. All those things are good, but the thing is, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And I know that people sometimes think, what do you mean I'm not good enough? None of us are good enough. And I can appreciate when we look at those that we care about how hard they work and they want to do what's good, some of them. And they, you know, you look at them and, and they think, you know what, I'm going to make the heaven because I am a good person. But the gospel message is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel message is none of us are good enough. And that's why Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. And it's illustrated what is being talked about being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ in Zechariah chapter 3 is Joshua the high priest. Again, he would be seen by the people in those beautiful priestly robes, the ephod and the breastplate and the turban and, you know, and, and the robe of the ephod with the bells and the pomegranate and, and then the robe under that, and as we talked about. And, and people would look at the high priest and say, boy, he's so righteous. But in that vision that Zechariah had, there's Joshua the high priest standing before the Lord, and the Lord, in his view, he sees Joshua's filthy garments on. And so the Lord says, take those garments out and put on fresh, clean garments that I give to him. And as we are washed with the blood of Jesus Christ and come in faith, then we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we can stand before the Lord. We're going to see the parables that are given again, that are going to be told in Matthew's gospel when we continue in Matthew about the wedding feast and those who didn't have the right garments on. They try to get into the wedding. And so here they, they would be um, clothed and, and uh, as was prescribed and then anointed with oil that would be poured on them. Oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. It would be in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus told his disciples, you guys wait here in Jerusalem 
for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit that will come upon you to give you the power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the world. And for you and I to be able to live for the Lord, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in us. We have to rely on the Lord. We need to abide in Him. And for us to minister unto the Lord, it's not a fleshly kind of thing as we discussed. The priestly garments were not made of wool. Wool makes you sweat. They were to cover their nakedness. It's not to minister out of the flesh. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. To live for the Lord and to serve the Lord, it has to be by the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we're submitted to the Lord, as we say, Lord, I, I just submit to you, surrender my life to you. And that's what we're going to see the picture of as we continue on, as we see these sacrifices that are going to take place. We see the first sacrifice as we go to verse 10. He shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the bull, and he shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And he shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the campus. It is a sin offering. And so the first sacrifice, it was a bull that was brought. It was a sin offering. Again, we're going to see that these offerings, the sin offering, then the burn offering, the wave offering, are going to be spoken of very specifically when we get to the book of Leviticus. But the sin offering, uh, what they would do is the priest would put their hands on the bull and then the bull would be sacrificed. Now, two words that theologians use when we talk about sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifice, sacrifices that they did of the animals, and then Jesus' sacrifice that he did for you and for me, two words that you hear oftentimes is substitution and transference. Substitution, that is, and transference. In other words, that as the priests put their hands on that bull, what it symbolizes is they were transferring, transferring their sins upon that bull. And then that bull became what? The substitution, didn't it? For sin. So that bull would be the one that would die. And so we see that in the New Testament as it speaks of Jesus, that what? He bore our sins upon himself. Matter of fact, you can go through Isaiah chapter 53 and you can see transference. You can see substitution. Those two words, those two theological thoughts being worked out in the description of the suffering Messiah, that he bore our iniquities upon himself. Transference. As all of our sins were placed upon him, he died in place of you and me substitution and propitiation as first john chapter one or chapter two verse two says the satisfaction jesus became the satisfaction for our sins he, he died once and for all for our sins you see in the old testament the animal sacrifices it wasn't enough that's why they had to keep doing sacrifices and we're going to see the daily offerings and sacrifices that they had to do the sin offering that would be offered over and over and over again because it wasn't enough it just covered sin until the lamb of god jesus christ came and died once and for all that's what hebrews declares as you go through the book of hebrews but kofar the covering that hebrew word and so they would transfer the, their sins upon that bull, that animal, and then it would be a substitution. It would die, and you would live. And you would live. And it was a powerful illustration to them, the seriousness of sin. 
And one of the things that I pray we never, never forget in our hearts and in our minds. That Jesus died so we could live. Jesus who was perfect. The only one that had the right to stand before God in his own righteousness. The Son of God. The only one that was pure and holy. The only one that had the right to live. He died that you and I can live. Becoming the substitution for you and for I. Becoming the one that bore our iniquities upon himself. The propitiation not only for our own sins, but the sins of the whole world. Now that doesn't mean universal salvation, but those who come to Jesus Christ in faith. And so he died that we might live. And of course, after his death, he would rise again and he would conquer death. And it would validate the very fact of the work that he did on Calvary's cross, that it was real. And so we can be so thankful and so grateful. And here's the thing. For 1,500 years, God had been preparing the people of Israel for the Messiah to come and die. This was a picture of that. It was not to be some new concept, but yet they didn't, they didn't quite understand it. They didn't quite get it. So Jesus, as we're going to see in Matthew's Gospel, is going to begin to talk about, I'm going to go and be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be crucified. And they're going to say no. And the people are going to say, no, we want you to usher in the kingdom. But you see, Jesus needed to come and die for us. And for 1,500 years, this has taken place here, Exodus chapter 29, 1,500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, God was preparing them for that through the sacrifices that was given until the Messiah was going to come, the suffering Messiah, spoken of of the prophets of old, that would die for the sins once and for all. He would bear our iniquities, Isaiah would say, bore our transgressions upon himself, a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And so they were to be ones looking for that, but they didn't quite get it. And, And so... Here, as, as we look at this, 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 this sacrifice that was to be given, and, um, and then the blood on, was to be applied on the horns of the altar and, and on the base. And then in verse 15, the second sacrifice, and you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. And then you shall cut the ram in pieces and its entrails and its legs, and put them in its pieces with, uh, and with its head. In verse 18, you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the second sacrifice was one of the rams now. It was a burnt offering, and it was to be, as it was killed, consumed completely on that altar. Completely, the whole animal was burnt up. And again, Leviticus chapter 1 is going to tell us about the burnt offering. So as that animal is consumed, and it was to be an offering of consecration, that is... Um, the entire animal being burnt on that altar and consumed, symbolizing the priest's complete dedication and consecration unto the Lord. It was done after the sin offering, wasn't it? You see, you and I as Christians, we first come to Jesus Christ in faith. We recognize that we are a sinner, and Jesus took the sin upon himself. He became the, the substitution for you and for I. He's the one that was sacrificed once and for all for you and I, for forgiveness of sin. And then as we realize that, then we dedicate our lives to him in worship and a desire to follow him, don't we? 
I give you all of my life, Lord. I give you all of my heart. I commit everything to you. And again, the laying on of the hands on this animal was a picture of transferring that heart and mindset to the animal that will be consumed, that I'm going to give all of my life to the Lord to minister unto him. That was the symbol there of the burnt offering. And Lord, I want to give all of my life to you. So Paul comes along in Romans chapter 12 and says, I beseech you, brethren, that is, I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God that you what present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Therefore, by the mercies of God. What do you mean, therefore? All the previous chapters in the book of Romans, as Paul laid out very systematically, very, very, in a way that we would understand theologically, but very, very simply, how we have all sinned, and the wages of sin is death, but Jesus Christ came to take care of the sin problem. And we don't continue in sin, Romans chapter 6, but we walk in the Spirit, not after the flesh, Romans chapter 8. He goes through all these things about the blessings we have in Christ, what he's done for us, understanding the gospel very clearly. Therefore, because of the mercies of God, because you understand it now, that now that you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you present yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And understand it as you do. That God has a plan for you. And desires to use you. For you and me as priests. To minister before the Lord. You know what? The Lord could have just said. Uh, you know what? These people got themselves into a mess. They've sinned. And if I don't go down and die for them. They're all going to be eternally lost. So I guess I better go do it. And come down and die for sins. That, that would have been enough. Just, just to know that, that Jesus died for us and we're not eternally lost. But then he could have said, you know, I don't really care for these people or to fellowship with them or to use them or anything. I did my part. But you and I know different, don't we? What the Bible declares. Because of his love for us, he came and died for us. Because he loves us con unconditionally and supremely and completely. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So because of his love, and he loved us, as Romans says, while we are yet sinners, we love him because he first loved us, the scripture says. And so now we know that we are set apart for him, to bring glory to him, for his purposes to be used of him. So you be a living sacrifice for the Lord. And stay close to him and abide in him. Remain in him, just in his word and in his love. And as you do, you're going to bear forth that fruit. And as you do, you're going to see that the Lord's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Because the Lord loves you and has a plan for you. He has saved you. And he has saved you that you might be used for his purposes and for his glory. And so in verse 19, we see that the application of the blood. And she'll also take the other ram. This is the third animal. And Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, the tip of the right ear of his sons, and on the thumb of the right hand and the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. 
And he shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and their sons' garments with him. And so here we see that they would take the second ram that was sacrificed. And what you are to do, Moses, is apply the blood on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and his sons, on the right thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of the right foot. Say, what's that all about? The idea is that I might have an ear that is consecrated or dedicated to hear the voice of the Lord. The right thumb, that Lord, I want hands to do service to the Lord that brings glory to you. And the big toe, the Lord, that I may have feet that desire to walk in your path. Lord, I want to be dedicated to you completely. And the ear that is open to hear from you. And a hand that pleases you in what I do. And feet that desire to walk after you. Notice that the blood and the oil also put on the priest the garments at the altar. And this dedication and separated unto God. And of course it, it, it talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. That we are saved. And then the Holy Spirit oil is a picture in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, consecrated unto him. The blood and the oil mixed together covered the priest, the garments that, again, that we looked at in the last chapter. As wonderful as the garments were described to us, as wonderful as the tabernacle being described to us in its furnishings, the altar, the priest, it is nothing without the blood and oil. You see... What do you mean by that, Pastor Joe? There's a lot of details given in, in the tabernacle. But you see, the Lord wanted to work through them. And as they're consecrated here, the blood and oil mixed together, it, it reminds us of us in the church today. See, a lot of details got to be given to do church today. I mean, there's a lot of details in buildings and then the furnishings and then the lights and the cameras and action. Churches pay a lot of attention to that, and we need to have those kinds of things, it seems like, to do church today. And we in this building, it's, it's not a huge building, it's not a huge facility, but what we do have, we're thankful for, and we try to present it to where, you know, it's comfortable for you, it's clean, it, it, it works, and we have a sound system, we have lights, and we're thankful that we have air conditioning and heat in the, in the wintertime, all those things, but it's interesting that you see some of the trends today in the church and some of the trends that have been lately, you know, over the last several years, and I get material, endless materials on it, is how you can come to our seminar and you can learn the latest trend and how to have the right kind of pulpit, you know, up on the platform and the right kind of lights and how you can have, you know, all the, the specific, um, you know, uh, multimedia and all this, you know, correct sound system and, and lights and, you know, even all these things that will enhance the people and movies and videos and all of this that goes on. And I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't try to, to use things to help benefit and minister to people, but here's the thing. The problem is, is in a lot of that that is going on today, the blood and oil is being left out. Do you understand what I'm saying? The preaching of the gospel, the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the focus is so much on looks and entertainment and presentation and, and 
You know, you got to have a glass pulpit, you know, pastor, because you don't want to see to be separated from the people. And it's like, I do. I like my old scratched up wooden pulpit, you know. You got to have this and you got to have that and you got to tell lots of stories or you're going to lose the people and things like that. And then you get so focused on that, you leave out the blood and the oil. That is that we're going to be firm in the gospel and the message that we give to others and the truth of God's word and being led by the Holy Spirit in this ministry. And that has got to be the priority. Because we can have the buildings and everything right and all of that, but it's nothing without the blood and the oil, right? That Lord, just as Paul said, Paul said to the Corinthian church, I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we want to keep that a main message here, that Jesus Christ died for you. He's the way to heaven. Repent, turn to him. He loves you. He wants to do a marvelous work in your life. And then the oil, the Holy Spirit in us, desiring to use us in the ministries that he's called us to do, to go outside these four walls and to minister. But the blood and oil's got to be the priority. And you know what? Everything else is secondary. And yes, Lord, we're thankful for what you provide for us. And we'll use things as much as we can to enhance you hearing about Jesus Christ and him crucified, encouraging to continue in the things of God. And so Paul had it right when he was talking to the Ephesian elders there in Acts chapter 20. He said, therefore, guys, listen, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You've been called to this ministry by the Holy Spirit. It isn't a job application that you filled out. You've been called to ministry by the Holy Spirit to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Paul understood it. The blood and oil. These are God's people that he purchased with his blood. And you've been called by the Holy Spirit to shepherd them and to care for them. And to give them the whole counsel of God's word as he would say to them. And then in verse 22, you shall also take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is the ram of, of consecration. And then one loaf of a bread, one cake made with oil, one water from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And he shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and he shall weigh them as a wave offering before the Lord. In verse 25, he shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as the burnt offering, as the sweet aroma before the Lord. It is the offering made by fire to the Lord. And he shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and you and it shall be your portion. And from the ram, the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron, and of that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by statute forever. For it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offering, that is their heave offering to the Lord. Simply, the wave offering here was, they took the offering, they waved it before the Lord, four times in four different directions, and it was the acknowledgement that everything has come from you, Lord. Every good gift comes from above, doesn't it? So the portion of the ram mixed with the bread and, and the cake and the wafer weighed before the Lord, and then it would be burnt on the altar, and then the remaining meat portions uh, would be eaten by the priest. What was not eaten would be burnt because it was only to be eaten by the priest. And so 
The way of offering when we get to Leviticus, again, we'll talk a little bit more about it, is the subset of the peace offering. The peace offering was an offering of fellowship as they would eat the peace offering, the wave offering. Uh, they would eat it, and it symbolizes, I've talked to you before, about fellowship. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door and let me come in, I will come in and sup with you, eat with you, fellowship with you, is what he is saying there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Lord desires a fellowship with you, and again, that's why the Pharisees were upset at Jesus when he ate with Matthew and his tax-collecting buddies, because it was a sign of fellowship. And the Lord desires for us to have fellowship with him. And so you have the sin offering, first of all, then coming to Christ, then the burnt offering, my dedication to Christ, and then the peace offering, uh, fellowship and closeness with Christ. And then verse 29, And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And he shall take the ram of the consecration and boil his flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. And thus you, you'll do to Aaron and his sons according to what that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. And you shall offer a bowl every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days she shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. And so again, um, a week of consecration, uh, the, the process took seven days. They would be in the tabernacle, at the tabernacle. When we get to Leviticus chapter 9, we're going to talk more specifically about it, but it's going to be a real key for any of us who desire to minister in longevity. We'll talk about that, that when we get to that more specifically. But then verse 38, the daily offerings. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So this became a daily practice for the priests, the daily offerings, one at morning, one at twilight. And then in verse 41, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, you shall offer with the grain offering, the drink offering, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And it reminds you and me how it's important for you and I that we go to the Lord in the mornings, in our day with the Lord. Do that. In your devotions to the Lord, you start your day with the Lord as you're a living sacrifice unto him, and then you end your day with him. And notice verse 41, it's a sweet aroma. We've seen that throughout this, this book, haven't we, throughout this chapter. It's a sweet aroma unto me. It's a sweet aroma unto me. It's a sweet aroma unto me. In other words, it's pleasing to the Lord. Ah, just pleasing. We'll see the altar of incense as the incense is burnt. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, the prayers of the people, it pleases the Lord. It pleases him when we come to him on a daily basis as a living sacrifice. And then as we finish up, and there shall be a continual burnt offering, verse 42, throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle, meeting before the Lord, will I will meet with you to, to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. 
I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they will, shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them, I the Lord their God. And so, Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths that we can look at once again. And, Lord, I pray that we would be ones, the first of all, understanding that we've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ.